Hello, my name is Samuel. And I am Thomas. And today, I'm going to uh, try a little experiment with this. Um, I have my good friend Thomas here. Hola. And I'm going to take him on a uh, deep discog dive, if you will. Um, Thomas, this afternoon, and really I, I tasked you with this like a month ago. I don't know how much you listened to on your own. But this afternoon, I sent you a playlist of DC Talks kind of essential playlist. Um, now, is this your first time really listening to the band? I mean, I've heard bits and pieces, like, here and there. Uh, like, every once in a while, I think, like, I might have heard, like, maybe most of a song or one or two full songs. But, I mean, hearing, like, multiple full songs and then eventually albums, like, all together, that's, like, from them, I haven't done that yet because... I just never really thought to. <laughs> fair enough. No, it's fair. Um, I'll admit I grew up with DC Talk. That's like um, my childhood. But I um, I grew up with the tail end of DC Talk. So we'll talk about it. But the band broke up in 2001. Around 2001, I was only 10 years old. Wow. So I was just getting into music. And I really heard them more after they broke up. Not even realizing that they'd broken up for a while. But we're going to get into that. Let's go back in time take the away back machine back to around 1988 we're gonna go to a college in virginia where one toby mckeon um was trying to be a rapper and he was going by the stage name of dc talk so toby mckeon um and that's not like his birth name he has a different name i forget what it is off the top of my head Writing rap songs, um, making a drum machine sounds kind of cheap, and he meets up with a friend at college named Michael Tate. Michael Tate had actually been pretty successful as a gospel singer. He had even been invited, legend has it, to sing as part of the Gaither vocal band, hmm. which is crazy if you think about it back in the 1990s, like 1980s. Um, Gaither vocal band was like fairly huge then. So they they met up, and he said, hey... Let's uh let's form a group. So um, my, they recorded a three-song demo, which you can find on YouTube. Um, it sounds very similar to their debut album. And they record a three-song demo um, of just Michael Tate, Toby McKeon, rapping, singing gospel. And the kids around campus love it. They just like literally make copies of the cassette, go around giving them out. They give out like 3,000 cassettes. The kids at the college love them. Later, down the road, they um, get Kevin, his name was Kevin Smith at the time. Kevin Smith, who was the frontman of a rock band, and I would love to hear his rock band days, quite honestly, because he has a really good rock band voice. <laughs> um, they got him to join them, became a trio, DC Talk and the One Way Crew now. That was their, their name now, DC Talk being Toby McKean, the one-way crew being Michael and Kevin. And they just kind of start singing, doing their thing. Shortly after forming the full trio, they get signed to a new record label started by Eddie DeGarmo, who was um, famous for being part of the Christian duo DeGarmo and Key. Um, they were considered like kind of Christian rock pioneers to a degree. They were definitely some of the more popular... Um, slightly aggressive for its time Christian music singers um, and Eddie DeGarmo started a record label called Forefront Records and on Forefront Records he goes ahead and signs the group says you gotta shorten your name so they shorten it to just DC Talk and that becomes the trio yeah. and then they say well we're a Christian record label you gotta have a Christian reason for your name <laughs> And they chain, they make their name canonically stand for Decent Christian Talk. Hmm. And this is the genesis of DC Talk. Um, so I think what kind of happened here, and I, I love it. Um, someone had a marketing genius moment here um, where they started marketing this trio as the new kids on the block. Have you ever heard of the boy band, New mm -hmm. Kids on the Block? Yeah, yeah. They were the Christian version of New Kids on the Block. That's mm -hmm. at least what they were marketed as. Mm -hmm. 
and they were successful. People went to their shows, loved them. Um, their record didn't quite take off, but it did well enough. Hmm. So let me pause here. I'm just giving you a little history lesson. Um, mm-hmm. Having listened to you know a couple of those songs off the first album, um, what do you think of this band's bands, um, in quotation mark? They were very <laughs> much a boy band. Yeah. Though they were never called as much, mm-hmm. they were a boy band. <laughs> um, what do you think of this band's early work, kind of their origins, as well as their marketing as you know, the Christian version of New Kids in the Block. I mean, to be honest, their first few things, like we said, like we talked about a little earlier, it was, it, it was rough. Um, I mean, it's nowhere near the worst music I've ever heard. Like, nowhere near. But it's... I mean, I want to be kind and say maybe it's a taste thing. I don't know. But um, it was very uh, cheap. I think it sounds cheap. Yeah. Um, very, uh, it, it's, it's of its time, uh, I think is a good way to put it. Uh, it's, you can tell kind of the era in which it was, uh, created. It sounds, it's, the sound itself is very reflective of that, I think. Um, it's, it sounds a lot like a lot of other things that I've heard that were around that time period. Uh, I say time period, that makes it sound like some, like, ancient thing. It's not, but, um, but... I mean, 1989, so yeah. we are dealing with the 80s here. Yeah. Um, it, it, it sounds, at least sounded a lot, to me, a lot like a lot of other things that I've heard from around that time. Um, I mean, I can't think of other, uh, things to compare it to just off the top of my head, but it sounded very, uh, non-original. At least, not in lyrics, but just instrumental sound, I'd say, probably. Fair enough. The, I, I find it interesting you bring up the lyrics. I don't love these lyrics, starting off. I feel like they're very... They're almost like Sunday school lyrics, but not in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> they're just like someone took a whole bunch of Sunday school lessons and said, let's make these hip for the kids. <laughs> I was talking to my dad about that. That's almost exactly what I said. That's, <laughs> yes, that's like the perfect way to describe that. Yeah. <laughs> so let's make this hip for the kids. Like just Hello, some... fellow kids. <laughs> Hello, fellow kids. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That first album is that meme. <laughs> um yeah. Okay. So they did that first album, marketed as a boy band. Um, I think they may have been probably not the first, but yeah. one of the first I'm aware of where Christian music did this weird thing where they're a Christian band, mm-hmm. which means hypothetically uh, they're evangelical in nature. They're yeah. promoting the gospel of Jesus, but they're also totally marketed two teenage girls as no. these guys you should uh, be thinking are really cute. <laughs> and I, I get it to a degree, but it feels really weird. Like, I definitely get doing that in a secular market. That makes mm-hmm. sense. You market the whole entire package. Yeah. But it just feels weird to market that in a Christian market. But that's totally what happened. I'm convinced that's why that first album sold so well. And by Soul Well, it sold like 40,000 records. It wasn't yeah. amazing, but it wasn't horrible for a first record. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> they had the whole entire, you know, they had their fangirls. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone thought they were really cute and young. They were a boy band. They even had backup dancers eventually. Oh. Yes. Like, they had a whole entire, like, touring with them backup dancers. Mm-hmm. It's a thing. In fact, some of those backup dancers would go on to form the the Christian rap group Grits, hmm. who actually are pretty decent later in the 90s. Okay, so they get done with that first album. It's a moderate success. They release their new album, New Thang. Hmm. N-U-T-H-A-N-G. Um, it's worth noting that Toby Mac was the co-producer on both these albums. Hmm. Um, the first album, he produced it with... I forget his name because he only helped produce that first album. And I think it may he may be responsible for some of the kind of dated sounds for it. Yeah. The second album, Toby Mac, or Toby McKean at this point, um, co-produced it with um, the long their longtime producer who produced their next couple albums, Mark Heinerman. 
So I think Mark Hyman was really responsible for some of the more rock-oriented sound you heard mm-hmm. moving into the second album. Um, it was honestly a lot more of the same, though. Yeah. Um, they became immensely popular, though. Like, this album mm-hmm. really took off new thing, became pretty big. They continued touring nonstop. They continued um, with the backup dancers. This time, the second album, you can actually hear... Um, Kevin Smith and Michael Tate, which I believe around this time is when Kevin Smith, um, he was adopted, hence Kevin Smith, he kind of went back to his roots um, and decided to change his name back to his biological name of Kevin Max. I'm not sure of all the reasons. Um, So, you know, you're right to do kind of whatever you want. I think Kevin, I'm so used to hearing Kevin Max now that, you know, that just sounds like a natural name to me, but... um, so the you can actually hear Kevin Max and Michael Tate more on that album. There's also a lot more rock guitar, electric guitar. Rather not, it's an actual guitar or just synthesizers. I can't quite tell, but there's more of it. Mm-hmm. And they do change up some of their lyrics. They actually address some different themes. So yeah. probably the most prominent one I can think of is they talk um, about racism in a song called Walls. Yeah. That. Which I'm always for. And I always like, uh, DC Talk was always like, yeah, we're a walking testament to mm-hmm. being against racism. You mm-hmm. know, we have two white guys and a black guy in this band. Yeah. It's who we are. And I feel like Toby Mac himself, which he was still going by Toby Mickey at this point, um, has continued to do that throughout his whole entire career. He's always oh, yeah. been very diverse and tried yeah. to... Definitely. So I thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second album was more of the same. Um, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? So you heard Walls. I know you yeah. also heard I Love Rap Music. Oh, yeah. Um, so what do you think of this era of the band when they just really blew up and only had minor changes to their sound? I mean, I I guess, I don't know for sure because I wasn't there, but maybe they were kind of in their head. Maybe it was, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. Or maybe it was like a budgeting issue where maybe we can't afford to change it up too much. Um, with instrumentals and whatnot, um, but, like, definitely, like you said, they did, uh, at least a little bit change up their lyrics, talking more about, um, anti-racism and different things like that, um, I, I remember it, um, while still not being the greatest, I remember it being at least slightly better than the first. It's, it's one of those things... The second album is only good in comparison to the first album. Yeah, <laughs> and I agree. It's like, is that really good then? Yeah. <laughs> Not horrible, <laughs> I guess would be. It could be worse. It it's, could be worse. It's yeah. worth noting that they became so big later that that second album went gold, meaning it sold yeah. 500,000 albums. Um now, granted, this is the 90s. 90s was the height of mm-hmm. record sales. Yeah. The 90s is when we were, albums were going diamond, right? Mm-hmm. Which means like 20 million records sold. So, gold isn't amazing, but for a Christian band and a really sub, I believe, subpar album, yeah. not bad. Yeah. I think another thing that happened here is Tony McKeon continues to produce this album. He wrote a lot of the songs. All three of them get a bit more into the writing. And he gets better at producing. I think mm-hmm. you can kind of he- slowly hear him evolve as a producer. And as far mm-hmm. as I'm aware, even on his solo records, he continued just to produce. Yeah. And um, you can hear his skills as a producer improving as he moves along. And probably getting a better budget, etc. Which leads us to... Because there's honestly not much to talk about with album number two. It, just, yeah. it exists. It's there. <laughs> it's there. Um, it's more of the same. It's the slightly better version. I I almost wish it was it was their debut album, but you got to build building blocks. You got to build yeah. what you got. Moving to album number three, Free at Last. Free at Last went platinum, meaning it sold a million albums before. Three, Free At Last is what made them blow up in popularity. Mm-hmm. Like, purely on the strength of them touring and them gaining fans, that album went platinum. Um, on Free At Last, they decided to incorporate more gospel. Yeah. Um, they had a lot more gospel influences on there. They did um, some cover songs. They did a cover of Stand By Me hmm. and a... Um, not stand by me why did i say that one um lean on me 
Yes, I remember. A cover of Lean on Me, and they also did a cover of Jesus is Just Alright. Yeah. Um, and then they also introduced even more actual electric guitars in there. Um, it's kind of cool if you listen to the tour they did. They did a tour following that with um, Audio Adrenaline as the opening act. And Audio Adrenaline had a really good guitar at the time, guitar player at the time named Barry Blair. And Barry Blair just plays the solo on some of those songs as like a guest spot. That's cool. And it sounds really cool. And I think that is the album where they started becoming infatuated with more of the rock sounds Mm -hmm. that they've become known for. Yeah, which I I think um, sounded least in my opinion better than some of the more generic sounding stuff in the first two albums yes i don't i think it has it's almost a good album mm-hmm. i think if it was had better production because the production still sounds super dated to me yeah and some of the lyrics are Meh. um but you know um, i think if it had better production there is a hint of a good album in and it, a lot of people loved it. It went platinum. Um, the lyrics were changed up. They continued to, you know, kind of give their Sunday school lessons. Yeah. <laughs> um, they also, though, um, talked, and I found this interesting, um, talked about, like, one of the tracks is socially acceptable. Talking about what's considered socially acceptable may not necessarily be the right thing. Mm-hmm. And considering how... Um, how how far that's went in the age of the internet i do find that an interesting oh, yeah. song even if i don't necessarily agree with all the lyrics in it mm-hmm. like um you know at the end of the day god's the judge of each person you know yeah, um, but i do find it interesting them at least deciding to address it along with um some uh, i like their take on the the actual gospel song free at last mm-hmm. where they turn it into a pop rock mm-hmm. rap song yeah um I uh, I also do genuinely like the track Love is a Verb. Um, I think you have to hear it live to really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, that is also the track where Toby McKeon dubbed himself Toby Mac. Toby Mac and the Mac is back. Um, oh, that's a rough rhyme now that I think about it. But um, they record it. Everyone loves it. They go on tour. It's worth, well, I'll get to that in a moment. Um, one of the interesting things that happened on that tour was um, Toby Mac met his to-be wife, um, and they had been dating for a while. Mm-hmm. They get in the middle of that tour, and she says, no, I don't want to be married to a rock star. I, not my lifestyle. She breaks up with him in the middle of the tour. Toby Mac, who is essentially the front man still, like he is yeah. the front man of DC Talk, probably the one most people know. Yeah. Stops the tour. Leaves. Says, we're just going to put this on pause, guys. Leaves. Be right back. And goes, hangs out with her parents for a week. To impress them. And he impresses them enough that they impress her that she should be with him. Anyhow, they get married. It's a happy love story. But I love the fact that he just stopped in the middle of their biggest tour. Like, this tour was huge. They Probably the biggest moment for them was... They um, were running late for a concert. It was in a baseball stadium. They yeah. get carried in in co- helicopters and come off the helicopters on stage and start singing. This tour was huge. Um, this is also when Toby Mac started his um, tendency to start climbing uh, the light fixtures and stuff and stage diving off and trusting uh-huh. people to catch him and not be paralyzed. <laughs> So, a lot happened. They became even bigger. What are your thoughts on their music during this time? Also, just kind of how they started transitioning away from... They were still very hard doing rap. Mm -hmm. But how they started kind of changing their whole entire image around this time. I mean, well, I mean, first of all, that whole thing, that that just sounds like the plot of some movie. Doesn't it, though? It sounds like like one of those, like like rock and roll famous person where that's kind of their biggest issue there and it's like okay i'm gonna put this thing on pause and i'm gonna go beat this girl and it, i mean he's just like mooching up to her parents that's kind of hilarious yeah. and then it's like well it's like i don't want to be married to a rock star good news i'm not gonna be a rock star i'm a rapper <laughs> but it's just 
I don't, it's just kind of funny how that, that just, that story, it almost doesn't seem like a real thing. <laughs> Sorry for dwelling on no, that. No, that's long, fine. But it just, that's such a, it's just, he stops in the middle of the tour. That's. I'm saying, we've got an I Can Only Imagine biopic, a Jeremy Camp biopic. Where's my DC Talk biopic? I, I would watch that. <laughs> I would watch that. I mean, well, and uh, they're going to be featured right in the new upcoming documentary. Uh, uh, Jesus Music. Yeah, Jesus Music. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, maybe that could open doors to, I mean, a DC Talk thing. I would watch it. Um, yeah. But, yeah. So their music during this time. Do you, I, like, do you think this album was even worthy of going platinum? or Me personally, platinum, mm, debatable. For me, I'd say it's still not there yet. I mean, it's, I mean they're, they're slowly progressing, you can tell. Throughout, but it's just kind of like, was that really worthy of what it got? Um... I mean, I'm sure there are still some that would say definitely, yeah. But, I mean, me personally, I'd say I probably not worth the platinum. Maybe you had to be there. Maybe, yeah. I guess you also have to compare it to what was out during that time. Yeah. Um, during that time, we had... This was 1993. Yeah. You had Carmen, Sandy Patty, For Him... There wasn't a whole lot of bands yeah. that really kind of hit that young demographic. Mm-hmm. Petra was an old band by this point. They were all kind of getting middle-aged. Mm-hmm. DeGarmo and Key was kind of getting the same thing. They were big in the 80s, but where's the 90s young people yeah. band? Um, so I think that was another big part of it, of growing up as a kid who was only allowed to listen to Christian music, I can appreciate... Finding that music that speaks to you that is parent approved, mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe that was just a big part of it. Um, yeah. So, wh- what are your thoughts on their music itself during this time? Like, do you think? I mean, you said you felt like they were progressing. In what way? What progression did you notice? Like, did it just sound better? Or I mean, in general, it did sound better, but um, it feels like it was a little um. And it was, I, I still don't feel like it was, like, super duper complicated with how it, but I feel like it was, it was gaining but, a little more footing, maybe, if that's... Like, better arrangements? Bit. Is that yeah, what you're talking about? But, yeah. And it, it's, um, I mean, everything has been done at some point, but a, a tad less generic than, um, which with me, it's kind of one of my things with music. I like less generic stuff, but... Um, everything's been done before at one at one point or another. So it's like, but it feels like that was just a little bit less generic, at least compared to the other two albums. That's fair. That's fair. Um, especially if you listen to rap music around that time, a mm-hmm. lot of it kind of had they their first two albums sound like a cheap version of the current rap music. Yeah. Um, it, it didn't sound great, and then they uh, did. Kind of, you can also tell they had a bit more of a budget. Mm-hmm. I think forefront they were making forefront records enough money mm-hmm. that forefront was able to give some of that money back to them for their records, so the album just sounded better. So another interesting thing happened while on tour. Um, during this massive two three year tour, um, the tour was so big they almost got a theatrical released film about it, which was later really it got scrapped because it didn't end up closest going. people would have gotten. <laughs> but um, it did eventually come out on DVD, the free at last experience. Um, it's just a tour video, essentially. But during this time, another interesting thing happened. In 1991, Nirvana's Nevermind happened. Huh. So the, the, the advent of grunge. I know you're a bit young, but how familiar are you with Nirvana, the grunge movement, uh. alternative rock taking over the world? Nirvana had a song in the new Batman trailer. <laughs> that they did. That's fair enough. That's I mean, <laughs> I mean I had a friend who I mean I'm I not gunpoint per se because of legal reasons, but um he he kind of forced me to listen to a handful of songs. Um I mean that was a little while ago and I don't remember much of it, but I remember pretty much my extent as of 
right now is it was in the Batman trailer. <laughs> That's fair enough. Okay, so um, we're, we're recording this as of 2021, FYI. For, for those wondering which Batman trailer had the Nirvana song in it. Uh, the George Clooney one. <laughs> uh, would have been a better movie, maybe. Um, neither here nor there. Coming back. <laughs> so um, they heard Nirvana during this time. Mm-hmm. Um, some rumors even have it. A band, one of the bands they were touring with just played the album for them, and they were like, oh, that's interesting. So alternative rock took over the landscape, and uh, Christian record labels being what they were back then, they were always two or three years behind the curve. Mm-hmm. So it was only fitting in 1995, you know, uh, two years after Kurt Cobain had died, mm-hmm. they finally kind of got in the bandwagon. DC Talk come, goes back into the studio with Har- Mark Heimerman again as producer, Toby Mac co-producing, mm-hmm. and begin to record an album named Jesus Freak. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you compare like Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit and DC Talk's Jesus Freak, they are similar. They're mm-hmm. similar styles. You can tell how much they were inspired by that whole entire movement. Mm-hmm. However, thankfully, they didn't just stick with the alternative rock. Um, they went in almost completely eliminated rapping. Oh, it's also worth knowing there's kind of an image change here. I'm a bit convinced. I don't know. I, I do believe Toby Mac is probably really good at marketing. So I don't know if it was him or the forefront marketing team. But some marketing team somewhere said, hey, you guys should start dressing and acting like a rock band instead of a rap group more. So they kind of did. If you look at their pictures around this time, they go from looking like MC Hammer <laughs> to looking like Nirvana. Um, <laughs> MAC Hammer. <laughs> yes. Um, so they kind of get the grunge look down by the time they get off. The, maybe it was just their personal style. Maybe they just thought it looked cool. I don't know. But they essentially reimagine themselves as a rock band instead of a rap group, even though they're not technically a band. This is what the kids are wearing now, right? Yes, kind of. Um, and they go into the studio and record Jesus Freak, record the other songs on there, which include, honestly, a lot of their greatest hits. Uh, what If I Stumble, mm-hmm. In the Light, Between You and Me, which actually went to went on the actual pop charts like it was a crossover minor hit um and somehow i don't to this day i don't know how it happened i think toby mac just got better at produ- producing mm-hmm. i think they finally had the money um they finally had the kind of right ideas behind it they managed to make an album that actually sounded good like i would argue and i know nostalgia bias I get that. I'm speaking from a nostalgia bias. I'm here, curious to hear your opinion. I think it's actually like a great album. Like stacked up against secular albums, Christian albums, I don't care. The whole entire album, um, with maybe one or two exceptions, comes across as very good to me. And it even sounds a bit timeless. Like I don't think it necessarily sounds just like the mid-90s grunge movement. Um, mm-hmm. but they have enough textures in there, enough different arrangements... Um, they even kind of they they dubbed it psychedelic pop because it kind of had some psychedelic stuff in there mm-hmm. from the sixties, and um, just made this kind of what I believe to be a masterpiece and what definitely sprung them off into masterpiece status, um, and made them go multi platinum. That album sold two million albums. Wow. Um, and was a huge hit, and it was still like the songs, those songs I was still hearing on the radio in the 2000s when I was a kid. Mm. So even six years later, they were still kind of huge from this album. So I'm sh- I know you listen to those songs on that playlist, yeah. and you've probably heard most of the songs at some point in your life. So what is uh, your thoughts on this kind of air of the now that they're officially calling themselves a band rather than just a a rap group <laughs> well i mean excuse me i'm just trying to have my thoughts but um they kind of kept some of the like you were talking about a little earlier they were always just a few years behind um but they kept a little bit of uh like uh they had a few things here and there that uh 
they had a few goofy things or whatever, some things that we would consider goofy or cheesy or something. But they did have like skits because yeah. they were still kind of. That's a very rap group thing to do mm-hmm. to have skits in between your songs, and they had yeah. a couple of those. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, they kept that, um, which is fine. But um, but they've changed their sound a little bit more, and so I would say um. I don't know if I'd say great, but it was good. Mm-hmm. Like I, I wouldn't. It's not bad. It's, but it's better than just okay. If, but um, I how do you know how many times? Because uh, I know they went and they redid the actual song itself, Jesus Freak, a few times after that. Because that I heard, I listened to also the special edition, or which they went back and redid it. Or something, and I remember I really liked that version. The piano that, based, yeah. So that was actually the tenth anniversary mix, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think they even had anything to do with it. Someone else went in and remixed the song for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to hear a really great remix this year, Owl City did a remix of that song. Oh and yeah, it I saw that. Amazing, like Adam Young is amazing at production. I wish he would just come in and produce some yes. music. But yes, it's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they, they redid that song. And that song like became their theme song. Oh, like yeah. um, Toby like, Mac continues to play it to this day, I think. Mm-hmm. Newsboys sing it to this day. Um, and they reference it in, in songs and stuff too still. Cause, all the time. Because uh, I don't remember exactly what song, but because um, I've been to one of his uh, shows and it's been a few years now, but I remember at least in one of the songs, but I believe it was it was more than that. Um, he mentioned that in his lyrics, he mentioned that that song itself multiple times. But it's kind of as you said, become kind of like their their slogan or their banner of kind of their mission, what they are, kind of thing. And it's funny that you say it was like their slogan thing. So they were trying really hard for crossover success in 1995. Mm-hmm. Um, they really wanted to get over to the secular market, which kudos to them, whatever. Yeah. Aim for the stars. And so they even tried to... I don't believe in astronomy. No. <laughs> they even tried to position Jesus Freak as to rock radio. And it got some play on rock radio. Hmm. As, well, this is a song about just standing up for what you believe in, whatever that may be. So I found that interesting. Um, what do you think of some of the other tracks on there? Like, wh- So it's worth no- noticing the lyrics are very diverse here. Mm-hmm. Um, the best lyrics I think they ever did as a band. Um, Toby Mac really stepped up in his songwriting. Not to mention his voice dropped about three octaves. Yeah. That's something... <laughs> the Just if you want to listen, even if you're not a huge fan, okay, so the little bit in the first two albums. And then as it progresses, it's like just listening just for... Wow, his voice changed so much. <laughs> um, but it was, like I said earlier, they kept a few of the goofy skate things here and there. But um, the lyric-wise, lyric he one thing that I did notice when listening, he he wasn't just like half-hasn't, meh, whatever. But he, he was, for better or for worse, he was trying to, to be Mac was to write lyrics. He was He wasn't just... At least as far as I can, I don't know. I wasn't there, but um, it feels like at least he was trying to to write well. It's, but it was uh, definitely better than the previous. Yes, I. It's also worth noting he wasn't the only writer during this album. Uh, Kevin Max and Michael Tate started helping write songs as well. That might explain a little bit. Um, I think this was. So this is where they actually became a real band. I think during Free at Last, they started pulling their own strengths and stuff. But this is the album where they finally, all three, started equally contributing. Prior to that, it was kind of a Toby Max solo show with some guest Back appearances. Up singer. Um, this is the album where all three of them really got a shine. Um, you had uh, Michael Tate, who claims in interviews that the rock thing was actually his idea. He was really into rock music. Um, and he really wanted them. He wanted them to make a rock album, so he's the one who convinced them that this was a good idea. Hmm. Um, and Kevin Max, he um, he was always kind of the weird one. Which, if you listen to his music moving forward, he gets weird. Um, and I think he had more of that thirst for experimentalism, and you can hear mm-hmm. that 
Um, there's even he even does a straight up poem at the end of the Jesus Freak album called Alas My Love, where he just reads a poem he wrote. Hmm. Um, it's pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah. And you can hear all of their voices. I think probably the hallmark of um like the highlight of maybe the whole entire album, but definitely all three of their voices working to their best advantage is the song What If I Stumble. Yeah. Um Kevin Max really gets to show off his range there, but all three of them and Toby Mac actually just sings for the first time at this point, which rather than trying of, to rap. Which he does that a lot more now. Yes. Like, like I, I don't remember the last time I heard like a full-on, like, well, as in a newer, uh, full-on rap song from him in recent years. Most of the time it's either like sing rap singing or just singing, mm-hmm. which is fine. But. Yeah. He, um, so... They record this album, which is, I think, better than it has any reason to be. Like, I don't know how this group went from mediocre albums to suddenly making, if not a great album, at least a good album. (laughs) And I think an album that you could set in front of someone who doesn't even like Christian music and be like, okay, yeah, that sounds okay. Like, I'm okay with that. Um, And um, lyrical themes of talking about you know dealing with your own stardom because they were suddenly superstars and that's one of the reasons i love what if i stumble is it talks about you know now that i'm a superstar what happens mm-hmm. when i fail in front of everyone as is going to happen yeah and i think that um really speaks to a lot of the kind of um superstar worship culture we have even in oh, christian yeah. market it's a thing you you hold these people up on pedestals and when they eventually fail as they're going to do because they're humans we all frown and it's like, why would you do that? Well, you know, they're, we don't know they're humans. <laughs> right? No, but they're, spe- speaking of Tom Mac and Justin, there are a lot of conspiracy theories. Like, so many, I have not heard, like, about a Christian artist. It's like, I've, there's so many conspiracy theories, but I don't understand why. Dude, maybe we'll talk about it sometime, about when we talk about his music by itself. But, okay, so, um,. They also cover uh, Charlie Peacock's In the Light, which I love. Um, and then they even do songs that, like, there's even one kind of on the, talking about, once again, racism, anti-racism with colored people. Yeah. One song called What Have We Become that just talks about the decay of society, which I think there could be an argument that society has always been in decay since the advent of sin. Like, that's nothing new. Um, but it's definitely something people talk constant about. Constant state of decay. Yeah, we are in a constant state of decay. But at least addressing that life isn't perfect. And, like, you know, the song flat out references someone committing suicide in the song. So, like, even acknowledging that those things happen in this market is something that wasn't always seen. And it's a much heavier topic than some of the ones that they were dealing with in the previous albums, especially. Yeah, for sure. They go on this massive tour... Um, the Freak Show, mm-hmm. with once again Audio Adrenaline opening for them. At this point, Audio Adrenaline had recorded what many considered their magnum opus, um, Bloom, mm-hmm. and so it was like this huge rock show. Um, they even made a live recording of it, Welcome to the Freak Show, which you probably I know some of that was on the playlist I sent you. Mm-hmm. They even do a cover of um, REM's "It's the End of the World as We Know It." I heard that. yes that one yes I remember that one. yes. Um, you probably didn't realize that was a cover, did you? No, I knew. Because okay. I, because uh, we had talked about it before. I had listened to that song before. Okay. Um, yeah. So they um, do this massive tour, and it's worth noting that on this tour, it, they kind of... If you watch this tour and then even look at, like, Toby Mac's modern shows, he based so much of what he did for the rest of his career off this tour. This tour was, you know, they would open with like the crazy rock songs go through they would slow down right in the middle do a nice gentle acoustic set they would even like go sit down on a couch together and like sing it all and then he would always end the show by doing a little sermonette kind of thing and uh yeah it was just um it was a massive show it was huge i wish i could have been there like probably been a really good show honestly this is also when they thankfully gave the back end dancers (laughs) I think they mostly gave up the backup dancers at this point. Um, they started covering Beatles songs. They they covered Help. Mm-hmm. 
and they just embraced the rock band identity. They got themselves a really good live band, which included um, one of my favorite guitar players slash producers, Mark Lee Townsend. Mark Lee Townsend went on to um, produce most of Reliant K's mm-hmm. albums. Um, additionally, mm-hmm. so fun fact, maybe we'll talk about this later, the guitar player Mark Lee Townsend, the bass player Otto Price, and the organ player, I forget his name, the keyboard player and the drummer, all went and formed a band called Zilch. Hmm. They made one album um, called Platinum because they wanted a platinum album. Hmm. That's... It's an okay album. Platinum went platinum. <laughs> right? It didn't. It didn't. Yeah, Hence, they were called Zilch. Like, they, mm-hmm. they knew they were a joke band. But they were DC Talks backup live band. Um, interestingly, though, after Mark Lee Townsend left the band, he got replaced by um, a guy named Jeff Dio. And Jeff Dio led Zilch, changed a couple other members, and went on and changed their name to Sonic Flood. Hmm. So, Sonic Flood is technically started from the remnants of DC Talk's live band. Which, mm. I don't know if you've heard of, DC, of Sonic Flood. They were... No, like, never heard of DC Talk. No, of, of Sonic Flood. They were a huge worship band in the early 2000s. Which, they have their own interesting history. Like, it's crazy. But, so, massive tour. Um, touring with Audio Adrenaline. Um, they also, it's worth noting... During the previous tour, the Free at Last tour, and the the Freak Show tour, they didn't get along all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Toby Mac, Michael Tate, and Kevin Max, the way they describe it often is, you know, they were they grew up together. They were all in college when they started this. Mm-hmm. You suddenly become huge overnight. You don't keep your egos in place. They fought all the time. Like, they would have shows where some of them would walk out and some of them would stay on the bus because they just couldn't stand being around each other that day. Wow. And even I was reading um, Mark Stewart, the lead singer of Audio Journal, and he was mm-hmm. talking about touring with TC Talk. Yeah. And he was talking about how he's like, I could see that band falling apart. They they were being held together by duct tape, and it was only a matter of time till they broke up. Man. Because they just were not getting along with each Needed other. Some gorilla tape. <laughs> yes he's like so i i find it what do you think of i think by this point all three were showing a lot of talent oh yeah so what do you think of three uber talented individuals um creating really good art together but then also clashing with each other possibly because of that talent well i mean first of all like you're talking about like we were talking about earlier i do appreciate that they finally got to have their own time to shine and they actually got to do stuff together instead of the uh, instead of Michael Tate and Max being more backup. I I do really appreciate that they finally all got to culminate together and all get to have their own voice in the actual music project they were doing. Um but I mean um like a lot of people discover but like being together for so long like especially I mean I, which we've talked about it a little bit before, but bands happens a lot where just having to be together for so long on long stints of time, periods of time, it's just like, I don't know if I'd say you need to have a break from people, but it's like sometimes it, it seems like that happens often, um, especially with bands when just being stuck together for so long, touring, um, I, like, I don't know if, um, but how long, how long they went on tour in each amount of time, but, um, I mean, as far as I understand, it was one of those, like, you know, we toured 250 out of 365 days. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I, I know one band, they, like, two years straight tour. Yeah. Like, that's, um, and they didn't break up, surprisingly, <laughs> but, um, but just being together for so long, and, Creative differences, especially in bands, can drive a wedge. And I mean, like, like you were talking about keeping egos in check. Like, one person doesn't, and then the other two do, or the other two don't, and the one person does. It's like, of course, there's going to be clashing because it's like, well, I'm stuck with them, but we have to try and make this work. But at the same time, I'm mad at them for this thing or that thing. It's yeah. 
and you know overnight success i think it's been well documented many artists so like i don't know how to deal with fame suddenly i go from a nobody to suddenly everybody loves me like how do you deal with that that's got to mess with your head <laughs> there are a lot of songs like a lot of artists and and albums too almost entire albums that especially to just talk about that subject of okay i'm famous now what do i do i don't want to mess up what's going on kind of thing there's so many uh songs and a few albums about that so it's yeah so we're now moving into late 90s um 1990 it's also worth doing that welcome to the freak show album went gold mm-hmm. sold 500,000 um they go back into the studio after that tour and record what ultimately became their last album though i don't think it was known at the time even though other people maybe around them saw it, you know, when you're in the thick of things, you don't yeah. see that far ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, they went in and recorded the album in 1997, 1998, Supernatural. Now, mm-hmm. the really interesting thing about this album is this was truly, I said Jesus Freak is when they all came and they really all three got to shine. Yeah. And it's worth noting, way back in Free at Last, they were starting to all individually shine. They even had a non rap song in Free at Last called. Yeah. The hard way. Mm-hmm. They get all the way to 1997, 98, um, start recording Supernatural, um, and all three of them participated. This was the first truly collaborative where it the, the writing was actually split like almost three ways evenly, where mm. a third of the songs was written by Michael, a third written by Toby, Kevin, etc. And, you know, some of it was them collaborating, mm-hmm. but... And you can really hear the differences in sound um, when they get into that album. It's it's a half a product of their time. It it sounds it's one of the few albums they made that actually sounded current. Like it sounds kind of like that late nineties, somewhere between um, alternative rock and in sync. <laughs> um, they kind of did more of a boy band thing though I found it interesting and then they uh, also while they wrote very explicitly Christian songs still um, yeah. there, were, there were a few like hey, um, I'm into Jesus Red Letters mm-hmm. Supernatural there was also several on there that were like they were priming to try and cross over um, Dive It's Killing Me there was even one song <laughs> they wrote for the X-Files film um, mm. called um what was it called? The Truth is Out There, I think. The Truth, maybe. Anyhow, um, it was written, and you can hear it. Like, when you listen to it knowing it's written for an X-Files film, you're like, oh, I can totally hear why they wanted to do that. It, it didn't get picked up. Yeah. But still, like, they were really aiming for this. Um, and I even found it, one of my favorite songs from the album is called um, So Long, My Friend. Mm-hmm. And it's... um where they imagine a hypothetical fourth person who left the band um, to pursue uh, secular fame and money. And they just kind of write a song to this um, this fourth person that doesn't actually exist. And I find it interesting because they, so, they were getting ready to break up two years later. So this song that's about a bandmate leaving right before the band broke up, I found really fascinating. <laughs> Plus, if you ever get a chance to watch the music video, it's hilarious. Um, and they had a lot of different sounds, a lot of a lot more input from everyone, and you know um, they even had better, more money. I think this time mm-hmm. they were kind of hitting all cylinders. And even though I don't think it's their best album, I think it is definitely the the album that's from all three of them and the album that could have pointed the way to the future i'm so curious what they would have sounded like beyond that album because of what they lined up there yeah say all that to say what are your thoughts on the supernatural air um i know you there's probably like four or five songs from that air that you would have heard what are your thoughts of the band during this time this album i mean like I was talking about, sorry if it's like beating a dead horse, but it's like you can see the constant progression mm-hmm. of the band is, especially like you're talking about, they 
divvied up the writing um, to where it was almost a three-way split, which does make me curious, how did they decide, okay, you write this part, you write... Did they just write their own individual parts, or did they just kind of sit together, have input, and do that, and then just... Did they mash the song together after doing that, or did they be like, okay, you get this section, you get this section kind of thing? I think it was a band thing of... They just went and said, hey, I have this song. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of shopped it until... Workshopped it until it worked. Yeah. Um, also, you have to consider by this point, they've been singing together for almost ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably knew what the other person... What parts the other person did, what parts the other person didn't do, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also by this point, Toby Mac, he was once again the producer. He knew how to produce an album. Yeah. He had... He had kind of gotten it down grit. He knew what everything was supposed to sound like. And if you go back to interviews, Michael Tate will be like, man, Toby Mac was like a workhorse. He said he'd be like whipping the whip at us, telling us, get back to work, get back to work, get on it, guys, get on it. (laughs) And um, (laughs) so I think he was the one, maybe he was even the reason why they were so much on their output. I mean, think about how crazy that is to go start in 89 between 1989 and 1998, you release five albums and a live album and tour almost nonstop during that time. That's in a five albums, six if you count their live album, five albums plus nonstop touring in less than 10 years is kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I think it was just. A mixture of production, workshopping mm-hmm. songs, knowing how they, they worked as a band. Yeah. Um, then they went on the Supernatural Experience tour. They had <laughs> the W's open for them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a swing band who had a song. They Their only song to fame was You Are the Devil and the Devil is Bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Sounds I, like a good Christian song. <laughs> it's it's interesting. Um, I find it interesting that of all the bands they had open for them, they had this swing band open for them. A really small swing band mm-hmm. at that. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and they did this last kind of hurrah tour. Um, like you said, getting better. They kind of reached their apex. They did this tour. And then they got done with the tour and so the legend kind of goes a lot of different ways um no one's clear on who said what first but long story short they all kind of wanted to do their own thing Mm -hmm. and toby mack even says in one thing he said i told them i can sit tight while you guys record your albums because michael tate and kevin max were very good singers oh yeah very good definitely which and, you can hear that shine through in at yeah. least a handful of songs. He said, so you got, I can keep writing for DC Talk while you guys go do your thing, and then you'll come back and we'll do another DC Talk album. Or we can all go solo. But if we, he's like, if we go solo, I'm not looking back. And um, so no one's clear on who made the first move, but either way, it was eventually decided they should all go solo. They even released a solo EP. Um, one plus one plus one equals solo. <laughs> Um, where they each had two songs from their upcoming solo albums on there. Mm. And then they recorded Intermission, um, The Greatest Hits, um, because the original idea was they weren't breaking up. They were going on Intermission. And that's what they said in all the radios, for because the, they did like some radio shows, they did tour. Mm-hmm. They did the, kind of like the Intermission, the solo tour, where they went and debuted their solo songs and then did a DC Talk set. Mm-hmm. Which that would have been an interesting tour. Oh, yeah. Um, probably the closest thing we ever really got to going away tour. And they said, we're not breaking up. We're just trying out some ideas. Famous last words. Famous last words. And then they never got back together. <laughs> so, um, this is 98 through 2001. What are your thoughts? So, you would have heard some of their last songs they released on intermission. Um it was sugar-coated, yeah. um, and they also did a cover of um, U2's 40, um, yeah. and they did a lot of covers, yeah. actually, a lot, which they had a unique enough vocals, I think it worked. Yeah, yeah. 
what are your thoughts on kind of their sound during this period, their music, but also on them being a band of three singers who decided to break up but not break up but then never get back together? Well, I mean, leaves hope for the diehard fans, but um, just barely. But it's, first of all, that the one plus one plus one equals solo, that's, that's genius. I love that. That's, I love that. I don't know why, but that's, that's really cool. I like that. Um, but <clears throat> it was, I, I do kind of, it does make me wonder why they did it when he, he was like, well, we could just do a temporary thing. I could keep writing. You guys could do your own stuff and then we could come back and do the thing. Um, which they all definitely, like I said, especially in a uh, handful of songs, definitely Michael Tate and Max, they shine through, especially with their vocals. They're amazing with those, with uh, their vocals. They sound really good, but, um, it makes you kind of wonder why they decided to do that. But I mean, there was the, I suppose, the tension from where they had been ego stuff or whatever, but, um, but they, I'm sorry, I almost feel like I'm, I apologize for, uh, I keep saying, but they really, at this point, had progressed, um, they sounded much different, um, from their first album, which was, it exists, but, um, it, it really, it really does make me wonder why, kind of thing, but, yeah. I think it was just a mixture of, you know, um, just a lot of, when you're, when you have a lot of type A personalities, Mm -hmm. um, and by that I mean, if you're all a leader, who's going to (laughs) follow? And I think it was getting to the point where maybe... Opposites attract and we're not opposites. (laughs) Yeah. They were all too good. Mm -hmm. And so, them all trying their own thing was inevitable. Yeah, and I I find it interesting because, and I don't know it, I don't want to speak for like you know anyone's personal lives because I don't know, mm-hmm. but like even down even up to this day, um, it's been like Kevin Max and even Michael Tate sometimes are like, yeah I'd be down for a reunion or a reunion tour a reunion mm-hmm. album whatever, and Toby Mac the one who seems like the one who didn't want to go solo, but has obviously been the most successful. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, he even said in one interview, he goes, I knew I wasn't going to be as good as them because they're vocal power warehouses, but I was going to outwork them. And I believe that's what he did. Oh, yeah. But we'll get into that later. Um, they, He's the one who seems to be not pulling the trigger on them reuniting, possibly because he's so mm-hmm. huge as a solo artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have had some minor reunions. They all got back together for one song on a Toby Mac, two Toby Mac albums. They've reunited. Uh, they've reunited on a Kevin Max album. They did a couple singles in the early two thousands, um, and then they did the what what no one was asking for, the Jesus Freak Cruise in twenty eighteen twenty nineteen. <laughs> I yeah. Mm-hmm. That existed. That existed. <laughs> I mean, it sold out. People loved it. it just huh. thanks for looking out for us poor folks there. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh. So that is the story of DC Talk. I I think a uh, I think an innovative band for mm-hmm. their time. Um, and I think a a lot of great memories for mm-hmm. a lot of people. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, but um, like uh, on one of his uh, albums within the last couple of years, uh, I believe this is not a test. On one of the tracks, which I believe was "Till the Day I Die," featuring NF, at the beginning on the at least on the CD, there was a little skit <laughs> where um he's like doing some VIP thing where they're asking him questions and stuff, and one of them's like, "When are you and DC Talk getting back together?" They're like, no, 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 keep the questions directed at him. No one else, next question kind of thing. And it was like, well, okay. Well, think about how many times they've all... Mm-hmm. So I've read interviews with all three of them. And every time that question comes out, they be like, this question again. <laughs> yeah. And they're always like, eh, maybe. <laughs> eh, maybe. 
I'm just trying to introduce, he's like, he puts it as a skit on, like, on the track of the album. That's kind of yeah, funny. Because he always gets yeah. asked it. I, I don't know if I even want them to reunite at this point. I think I'd be fun to see a, one last tour of them. Yeah. But also, they're all in their 50s. Yeah. You're not going to make music in your 50s like you did in your 20s and 30s. Yeah, of course. It's different music, and I don't know if it would suit them as well as a group. Mm-hmm. Do I think they all sound great together? Yes. Yeah. Do I think their music is still going to be innovative and catchy and good at 50? It would take a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying it's impossible. You know, um, I don't think... I'm not one of those that says, oh, once you get past 30, you just can't make music anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's nostalgia, nostalgia bias. Mm-hmm. Of people saying stuff... Because music never sounds as good as when you're 17. Um, It's just, you know... That's when music always sounds the best. Because that's when you are forming a lot of brain connections. And the music just gets indebted into your brain. Mm -hmm. Um, So it never sounds the same as when you're young. Alright, I've done a lot of talking, sir. Any last questions or thoughts here? I did. But no, I do not. Alright, guys, that has been the show for today. Hope you all enjoyed. You have a wonderful night.